As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Pete Sampson and Matt Fortuna with... uh a non-emergency but bonus episode of the Shamrock here on Wednesday, December first. Uh, I'm I'm back from California. Um, thank God for I American got my Airlines Wi-Fi. We're all, we're yeah, all yeah. Those are those are the updates people are, are really here to see. But uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have already read our piece on the Athletic on the really wild 24 hours um, inside the Goog and around the Goog yesterday with Brian Kelly's meeting had the entire transcript of that um all three minutes and roughly 45 seconds of it so a little bit more than the two minutes i was told by uh some sources close to the team yesterday but um matt you um we worked on it together but you wrote it so i'll let you take the lead on this like what what stood out to you most about that um yeah there was a lot of good detail in there but like what what really rang home with you the most well the beginning of it, and it's you know, the story behind the story, um, as far as how this came together. You know, we we had both talked to people who were in and had knowledge of that meeting, and we, we had gathered some loose details about how it went down. Um, the one universal consistent um belief with everyone we talked to was that it just wasn't all that personal, it was short, there were no questions, and that was that, and it left the room kind of just feeling a little de- defiant um, to say the least when, when Brian Kelly exited. Um, so I'm putting this thing together on paper when you call and say, Hey, I, I got the video and it was like, awesome. Like I would be up all night, but this is awesome. Cause I got to rewrite pretty much everything I just wrote um, and listen to it closely and, you know, read the room for lack of a, a better term. And it was uh the video's out there. I, I've seen it going around on Twitter, not via us, but um, uh, you, you can see for yourself and you can read it in our story. Like it's, I wonder who thought that was a good idea, to be honest. Like I, I, I get Brian Kelly. Like just do a straight this, Irish goodbye instead. I, what What's the difference at this point? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's you what think anyone, you that... think anyone at Notre Dame on, on coaching staff, players, you name it, came out of that, three and a half minute meeting with Brian Kelly 
feeling any better about the situation than they were going in. It definitely watching the, it the the moment was for Brian Kelly. It wasn't for Correct. players at all. Um, it was it felt very self serving when you watch it. Um, the fact that the room was seemed to be dead silent as he walked out. Not even like the awkward two people clap no, yeah, thing no, was, that you get. Nothing. Um, so yeah, it, it was definitely a moment for Brian Kelly and only Brian Kelly. Um, that, I mean, it was, I guess if you can do it just to say that you did it um, based on how he left Cincinnati, um, you know, I don't think that ever really happened there. Um, I also... You know, and you sort of look back at like how long it's taken um, that to unfrost itself, like for him mm-hmm. to be welcome back there. I don't, I don't know what the timeline for that is going to mm-hmm. be around Notre Dame after the way that he left. Um, you know, especially the the playoff, and at least at Cincinnati, you sort of like know where you are in the food chain. Like Notre Dame's right. spot in the food chain, while being in the top four, that. That is much more difficult, I think, for Notre Dame to process. I mean, what I was told by multiple sources around the players what the, is that the players were more ticked off after the meeting than they yes. were when it began. Um, so that sort of tells you where the energy for all that was flowing. No, and that, that, that's the sense I got as well. And, you know, I the Cincinnati thing, while it was an ugly exit, you know, at the end of the day, when you put cooler heads aside – you're moving from a group of five. Well, I guess at the time as a big East probably you're moving up in the world. Mm-hmm. Like no one, maybe Luke fickle now, but no one would not leave Cincinnati for, for Notre Dame, at least under the, at, at that point in time, you're increasing your salary. You're getting a better opportunity, you know, all the above, you name it. It's an upgrade. Like again, they did a 10 year reunion for that 2009 Brian Kelly team. Um, two years ago, everyone seemed to have kissed and made up and he was welcome back with a warm reception. That's the that, that's the part that like you know as we process you know the the here and now, um, that's something I've been thinking about more and more. And I was thinking about it while writing it and quoting some people around the program last night. Like, man, like there is so much like undoing to be had over such a long period of time before I think Notre Dame fans, players, alums, administrators could even like be open to the idea of like welcome back winning this coach and program history. Like it's just and, and yeah. I want to get your opinion on this too because like there was definitely the sense and you know we wrote this a story there's a definite sense you know from both the, the adults and <laughs> the players in the room of you know what like screw this guy. Yes. He showed his true colors. That's who he really is. He's only out for himself. You know, you know, yada yada yada. Um, especially, you know, the, the players in particular. I mean, we you know, we wrote this a lot during the, the week Kelly broke the wins record. Um, there is a lot to a lot to admire about Brian Kelly, the coach and program builder, and there's a lot of great things he has done there. But like I, I remember reaching out to former players for the story I wrote that week, and almost universal response was like, Don't ask me. I didn't have a relationship with him. Yeah. Um, and not in like a, a, I don't like him way, just like that was the way he operated. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a sense right now, especially in 2021, especially with a 35 year old rising star on staff, who's interviewing for the job in Marcus Friedman. There's a sense of like, uh, at least among this roster, 
could we get with the program already? It would be nice to actually be able to walk into our head coach's office and be a human being with him. Cause that was never the case with Brian Kelly. I know there's Brian Kelly 2.0 and there's look, there's a lot of truth to that. He did change and evolve and he became a lot more easygoing to be around, but he was never, you know, the, uh, the ideal players coach for lack of a better term. And, and so, sorry, I know you want to say, but I, I do want to ask you this, the whole showing my true colors thing. I'm very curious about that one because the guy left after 12 years. It's not like he jumped. Like, if he wanted to leave Notre Dame that badly, he could have left any single year right. over the last 12 years. So that's, and that's also the more confusing part, right? Is why now what changed? So I don't know. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's a bold move to leave after 12 years, but like you could have left whenever you wanted. So why now? And like, how deep or not deep was your love for this place? Well, I thought, I mean, you made the point in the story, which you know, is, was well reported out. Like Mel Tucker is the reason that you're leaving and yeah. Mel Tucker's contract and James Franklin, James Franklin's contract, the market changed and Notre Dame was not eager to change with it. Um, you know, and it's like you sort of put the pieces of this together and this is just me speculating. Like, the the more you think about it, the more you wonder if Notre Dame was like, yeah. all right, see ya. That's I got that said. Like once the shock of everything happened and everyone was like, oh my god, how Notre Dame lose this guy? What's Jack Swarbrick doing? Yada yada yada. Once everything died down over the last day or so, and no one like came out and said this directly, but the sense I got was like, screw this, we're Notre Dame. We're gonna get a damn good coach, whether it's in the house or outhouse. Or out of the house and like, sorry, <laughs> it's uh, been a long week. Yeah. And like Brian Kelly wants to leave, sayonara, we'll be just fine. Um, and, and to the point where like some people had, had speculated like, yeah, may, maybe Jack was just tired of it. And so, you know what? Cool. We'll be fine. Like this program is Notre Dame football. It's not Brian Kelly, you know, Notre Dame. Notre Dame existed before he was here. It'll exist and succeed long after he's here. Um Jack probably thinks he has a lot to do with the success um, in the way Brian Kelly thinks he has a lot to do with the success as well. But I definitely got a different sense of, um, you know, the blame game. Like it wasn't, it, it was one-sided in the heat of the moment because no one could believe it. And yeah. now um, cooler heads are, are prevailing. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's no question about it. There's, I don't want to say nobody, but like if you look at that roster, and I talked to some parents last night for a story that I'm working on for tomorrow. Like nobody is like, man, my son really committed to Notre Dame for Brian Kelly. <laughs> nobody says that. Um, it is all. I came to Notre Dame for Notre Dame. If you ask, like, let's let's rank the the coaches and leadership positions about who would you run through a wall first? It's Marcus and Tommy, and like BK is at the bottom of the list for for that. For the the reasons you mentioned, Cam, Cam um, McDaniel would run through a wall, run through a tackling dummy. Yeah, for, he for did, Brian Kelly. but you know, it was <laughs> accidentally only. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, one of the quotes from the parents is like, I, I asked, like, you know, what what does Notre Dame need in its next coach? Like, somebody you can recruit. The guys love him. That would be the traits you're looking for. Somebody the guys really respect. I know Brian Kelly was kind of hands off kind of guy. If you needed something, you had to go through the captains. He didn't seem to have an open-door policy. He didn't like guys approaching him. Probably somebody who's a little bit more personable. I think that would open things up. Like, that's... You know, in the same way that I think Brian Kelly got with the times a little bit after 2016 because he had to, 
this this would be the moment for Notre Dame to get with yes. the times with their next head coach. Um, you know, and that's part of the story in, in the of today is like the timeline of Tommy Reese talking to Jack Swarbrick Tuesday night late. Yeah, as we record this, or it may have it may have already happened. Jack Swarbrick talking to Marcus Freeman today. Um, both of those guys are a hell of a lot more relatable than their old boss. Absolutely, and. And I said this in the last podcast, nine times out of 10, I say, if you're a, a blue blood, like Notre Dame is like, you can get whoever you want. You don't need to like, like don't hire a recruiting class. Don't hire a quarterback, right? Like the idea of like, well, if, if we don't hire Marcus, this whole recruiting class is going to go to hell. You're Notre Dame. You'll figure it out. Cause you're going to get a good coach no matter who it is. That being said, I do think the state of this current program is in really good shape and talking to people around the program last night, as you did as well, there is a genuine sense of, you know what, Brian Kelly built it. Thank you. We've all been exhausted by basically his his lackadaisical approach to recruiting, which yes. is going to be an entire another storyline to follow for LSU yeah, fans I mean, in the coming years. I mean, it's kind of one of those things that's, that's always been written by me. And people have been like, oh, well, uh, like all this pushback. Yeah. Like, uh-uh. No, no, no. That I was mean, true the whole time. You just I mean, you didn't want to read it. From someone who works with Brian Kelly. And I, I don't think I put this as a story, but it was, let me find it right here. I, I have my notes. It was, uh, I don't have my notes in front of me. Never mind. It basically along the lines of like, it is so damn frustrating to do this job and to go out there and recruit 16, 17 year old kids when your head coach isn't fully invested in it. Yep. And no one will doubt Tommy Reese, Marcus Freeman, Lance Taylor, you know, several others on that staff. No one will doubt their ability um, to recognize the importance of that to this job and this profession. And Brian Kelly built the infrastructure. Um, credit to him for that. I do think, and the belief among a lot of the people who were on that staff and maybe on this next staff is we've got some young, fresh blood here. Everything has been built for us. Let us loose. We will go out there and work, you know, run a million miles a day, go a million miles a minute, acquire the talent we need to not just be competing for college football playoff berths every year like we are, but to get in those living rooms consistently with the Ohio States, Georgias, Alabamas of the world and compete with them on the field for national championships. Because um, we, we, me and you have said this a lot of times, like, will they ever be Alabama? I don't think so. Are they a great program as is? They are. They have not reached their potential when you look at what, what's out there. They have not embraced everything that they can become in this nope. day and age of, of, of recruiting of frankly, much more intelligent high school and college players who are looking for more than uh, a place to party their ass off for three years. I mean, they're thinking about their brands. They're thinking about NIL. They're thinking about what's the best Avenue for long-term success on and off the field. If you're genuine about that, it's hard to beat a Notre Dame degree. And I think there are people on that staff right now who really understand that and are just chomping at the bit to get the chance to, you know, kind of unleash that pitch in a way that it frankly was never unleashed under Brian Kelly. Yeah. I mean, we, we had Marcus Freeman on our show and like, you remember the Jay-Z Mendoza, or, uh, yeah. Mendoza right? line. Yeah. Just about like, you know, I'm not trying to, so like I'm a business like yeah. Notre Dame is Jay Z and then kids are like oh shit like <laughs> whoa 
I mean, even you and I are like, we're old people, but like, we Speak are. Speak for yourself. We're people. We're bald people and I'm old. Um, that like he, the way Marcus Freeman sells Notre Dame is a million miles away from Brian Kelly. One million miles. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that, I mean, you see a lot what they did with Brennan Vernon, the, you know, four-star DN from Ohio that they got um, from oh, the basically stole from Ohio State with the vans. Freeman goes mm-hmm. out, buys vans, the entire staff wears them. Boom! The kid's like, "Holy shit! You guys are like, you get me." Brian Kelly would would never even dream to do that. Um, so, I mean, and that's that's what it takes to win at this level. I I'll be fascinated to obviously. Fascinating to see where this goes. And by the time you may listen to this podcast, it may have actually already gone there. Um, but if you go with Freeman and Reese together, um, you have a unbelievable energy and I think synergy between your head coach and your offensive coordinator that um, that would be, you know, we've covered Notre Dame for a long time. How many ideas unite the Notre Dame fan base? That one, I think would. I mean, it's like, oh, it, de- uni- it definitely would. I don't the think the universal that be- approval of Freeman as head coach among players is I, it's shocking to me. No, I, I, I look, I it's a thousand percent true, and I'm not saying this in regard to this specific instance, but nothing, nothing gets athletic directors and college football programs in trouble more than winning, just trying to win the press conference. Yeah, um, I'm and with I you. don't, I, I don't, I don't think that's like. Jack Swarbrick or whoever's making this decision's intentions here. Um, I genuinely think there's belief that these guys can not only get the job done, but do it well. And, you know, to, to get more into the weeds of how that would look. I um, mean, we wrote this in the story. Um, look at Brian Kelly's defense coordinators, at least the post Brian Van Gorder ones, the successful ones. I mean, and, you know, even before that, Bob Yako like ran a good defense at Notre Dame and got a head coaching job out of it at UConn. Um, Mike Elko, Clark Lee, Marcus Freeman, all those guys had full autonomy to basically do and hire whatever they want. And those guys were really good at their jobs and it worked out really well for all of them so far. Tommy Reese has been a damn good offensive coordinator and Brian Kelly's probably given him along with Chip Long before him far more free reign than he's ever given to any offensive coach probably ever in his career. But at the end of the day, Brian Kelly is still an offensive guy and he is still, if not hands-on influential and watching over everything that happens on that side of the ball, who gets hired on that side of the ball. Um, You know, I mean, we not break again. I'm not breaking any news here with the offensive line. I don't think most of the Irish coaches on staff right now would have had Jeff Quinn as their number one pick to be their offensive line coach. No. No, plain and simple. It's true. He's Brian Kelly's friend. He's untouchable. At least he was under Brian Kelly. Um, To give a guy like Tommy Reese with his football acumen, his people skills with recruits, his Notre Dame connections, and his connections really throughout all levels of football because of how much he's done in short, such a short period of time, to make him essentially the head coach of offense, which is what he would be the way Freeman was the head coach of defense and the way every defense coordinator was at for Kelly. I think would be really, really invigorating for that program to give him autonomy over hires to let him, you know, recruit the caliber kid he wants to recruit and to run 
the system that he wants to run and to do it without, I don't want to say interference, but at the end of the day, like Brian Kelly's the boss, like mm-hmm. he's watching over everything and can end anything in a minute. <clears throat> I think that to me is a very, very fascinating proposition for Notre Dame uh, because yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's some guys on that staff who are close with Tommy and, and Marcus who would absolutely stay. Um, but, but, you know, it would be very interesting to see where else they would go to fill out a staff like that and what it would look like. And by, by the way, we, we've said all this without even getting to maybe the biggest like public out there news, which is Matt Bayless ain't going to LSU, right. yeah. which is huge. And massive. again, LSU is coming hard after everybody and they're not going to let up. We saw this with Texas A&M with Michael Elko, Mike Elko a couple years ago. Uh, money talks and there's a lot of uncertainty around Notre Dame right now. But I got to tell you, I'm getting with Brian Kelly to LSU right now. I'm getting major vibes of Nick Saban to LSU when he left Michigan State. He sent up the story goes he sent a plane back for his staff, and not one person got on it. It, um, I mean, it could that. And look, hey, Nick Saban won a national title there and has right. Done great it for still himself. worked out. Like, right. Everyone, everyone was happy. Hell, Les Miles and Ed Orgeron won national titles there. It's yes. not that hard. Um, no one, no one's building a statue of there if you win one. Uh, yeah, I, I, I need. I think if Notre Dame goes in a different direction than Freeman, the Saban part falls apart because um, I, I guy some guys sure. will end up there. They're paying hey, too yeah. much money. Brian Kelly is too good of a boss um, for everyone to turn him down. Um, you know, and some of these guys like like. Like Mike Elston in particular, been with Kelly forever, knows his value. Um, would take that's somebody he would take care of. Um, also, Brian Kelly clearly knows that he's killers on the recruiting trail because he's not a killer himself. Um, so that, he is a gol- he is a golfer, and I've been told by people familiar with that area he's in for a rude awakening because Louisiana is the worst golf state in America. That's shocking to me. But yeah, and all, his his Augusta membership might get revoked from. Uh, Jimmy Dunn after this too. Right. There's a uh, <laughs> not membership, we, but access. Yeah. <laughs> as we've heard, like from previous coaches, when they leave the perks of being at Notre Dame, go away very quickly. Um, Brian Kelly can afford to play a number of nice courses regardless, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fascinating to sort of see where this goes. But um, if you haven't checked out our story on the athletic, please do. I think you will find it very enlightening about sort of the tone and the tenor inside Notre Dame's football facility on um, on a Monday that was Monday and Tuesday that were unlike any other. Um, yeah, it's it's been a long time since we covered a, something like this around Notre Dame. You know, Jack Swarbrick said, "Is look, it's this job is a lot better than it was 14 years ago," and he's dead on about that. Um, but to keep it that way, they have to make the right decision now, uh, and none of them are without risk. So it's uh, to be fascinating to see what. What our next behind the scenes piece uh, on Notre Dame football turns out to be, who the heck coming tonight? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, maybe another long night for us. Um, but yeah. By the way, we, is... we we are we are all old after this week. I didn't mean to say oh, single you out. <laughs> I feel like I turned fifty in the last. I went from forty four to fifty in like forty eight hours. Um, all right. On that note, we're going to wrap up this extra uh, bonus edition of the Shamrock. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for reading. Thanks for listening. Um, it has been a hell of a ride. I hope that you feel like we're taking you along for parts of it um, as much as we humanly can. Um, and I think it 
it may be uh, we may be in for another turn in, in short order here. So he's Matt. I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of the Shamrock. Podcast.